podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello to you and welcome to a brand new podcast called Talking Snooker. We're going to do exactly what it says on the tin. Natter away about the game we all love. My name is Nick Metcalf. I am a snooker journalist and big fan of the sport. As is the man that I'm delighted to say is my partner in crime for this new venture. And that's Phil Haig. Good day to you, Phil. Hello and uh, hello to everyone listening. As Nick says, I'm Phil Haig. I write about snooker amongst a few other things for a living. But crucially, I'm a huge fan of the game, which is what brings me here today. Um, both me and Nick are used to the written word, but delighted to be branching out into the podcast world now. Indeed. And just to say, we are recording this from our home. So apologies if you hear any, any microwaves tinging in the background or we have to take a break because the postman is knocking on the door. Uh, let's just hope for the best and then we can give you an uninterrupted chat here for our podcast debut. Now, we thought a good time to start would be just before one of the sport's premier events, the UK Championship, which begins next week. Now, the UK is traditionally seen as one of the biggest three events in snooker, alongside the World Championship and Masters. It's set to be a very different tournament this year, of course, due to the coronavirus pandemic. It's being played behind closed doors in Milton Keynes, rather than at York's Barbican Centre. But at least we are going to enjoy the event, with blanket television coverage coming our way from the first round stage for the first time. I think a good place to start then is to have a few words about just what makes this tournament such a special one in the calendar. That's enough for hogging the talking for me, uh, Phil, so far. Over to you then, sir. What does, for you, make the UK stand out in any snooker season? I think it's just the sort of lengthy history behind it. Um, for, a tournament, for a sport with such traditions and history, the snooker calendar can chop and change quite a lot. Tournaments tend to come and go there renamed, rebadged sometimes, and they turn up at different points on the calendar. Um, even the UK has seen change, switching from non-ranking to a ranking event and moving venues a few times, but it's been around since the 70s, so uh, we can forgive it a bit of change. Um, for a long time, though, it has always had the feel of a huge event on the on the calendar, and the first of the really top-tier events of the season, I think. Um, the earlier season tournaments over in China are obviously big, big prize money, and the Champion of Champions has come along now as a massive tournament. But in terms of the history, the prestige and the coverage on TV, the UK still feels like the first proper major of the season. I think it's important to try and look at snooker from a casual viewer's point of view sometime. So me and you, Nick, and everyone probably listening to this podcast, apart from maybe my mum, would be in the top sort of 1% of the population when it comes to how much they're into snooker and following it. Um, but for sort of more casual snooker fans, they may well watch the World Championships and then the UK is the next time they'd sit and watch a match. Um, and that sort of gives it the feel of a much bigger event outside of sort of the hardcore fans. And obviously the BBC coverage has played a big part in that. Um, and there's certainly start parts of the tournament that may have diminished in recent years, which I know you're about to talk about. Um, but to a casual fan, they, they probably won't notice these things and will be tuning into this one um, when they wouldn't be watch, watching the other events earlier in the season. So that's why it sort of feels like a big big start to the season for many fans. Yeah, and it's important to say we've got many wonderful broadcasters, haven't we? I mean, Eurosport do a, an absolutely magnificent job with, with snooker. I've 
pretty much regarded as the home of snooker now. Mm. ITV, um, as I said many times on social media, uh, you know, do a, a terrific job with snooker. What a team they have, you know, one of the best in the business. Uh, so it certainly isn't just about the BBC, but there's no doubt that when the Beeb come along, there's that extra uh, luster to it because of the history, because of the reach of the BBC, because of the fact that it can be on, on the, you know, all over the telly, on the radio. Uh, or they naturally go much bigger with it online because it's one of their events and one of the biggest events. So all these things do contribute. Um, you know, we definitely have to have to say here that it has um you know, been downgraded over the years. There's no point pretending it was the same event as it was in the 70s and 80s. It, it just wasn't. The matches were a lot longer then. Uh, you know, when I was uh, growing up, some of those finals were, were epics. They were only just slightly shorter than the world final. Mm-hmm. And it definitely had that kind of uh, long match feel that, that, that definitely, you know, gives an event a, a certain prestige. I, I think, you know, f- f- for different reasons, Again, that old rascal television, probably uh, one of them, uh, you know, they want matches over quickly. They want matches in one session. So now we have these shorter, you know, best best of 11 matches. It, you know, it's never going to be totally satisfactory for, for traditional snooker fans. Of course, it's not. Best of 19 final. But, you know, the best of 19 finals have been with us for, I think, pretty much nearly 30 years now. So that, that's not a particularly new thing. I know we take time sometimes as snooker fans to, 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 to change, Phil, and... Uh, and to see our beloved events have these alterations, but it's been quite a long time for that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I suppose my feeling is that it has been downgraded, but I do think sometimes snooker fans can overplay how much it's been downgraded and, and forget that it has still got that, that cash. I mean, I've, I've heard some fans say, oh, it's just a little bit bigger or more of a glorified home nations event. Now I sort of don't see it like that. I mean, just a, one example for me that comes to mind from last year when Nigel Bond beat Judd Trump. What a story that was. You know, if that happened at a Home Nations event or maybe the German Masters, I mean, as you've already alluded to, we work a lot in, in written journalism. I mean, that would no, get nowhere near the levels of attention. I mean, I, I think it would probably be a near a few lines in, in, in the newspaper, perhaps a bit more on, on a slow news day. Nigel Bond beats Judd Trump at the UK. It's a page lead. You know, it's all over radio. Of course, it's on network television, as we've already said. It just has that cachet, the UK. And yes, it's not perfect, um, but it still has that history. And you can't buy that. I mean, you mentioned the champion of champions. I mean, I noticed Neil Robertson came out and said it, it could be like what we would call the fourth major. It could well be. What an event that is. It doesn't have to be a very old event to be good. The champion of champions is seven or eight years old. We love it. But you just can't buy an event that's been going since 1977. It just has that, as I say, uh, great history about it. We are going to miss York, though, aren't we, Phil? You know, I know it's a, you know, perhaps a, as a man that hails from uh, from somewhere near that part of the world, I should throw this <laughs> over to you. But it's it, it's a it's a big shame, isn't it? Because it's, it's it's become a special venue for that event. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... It has definitely become a home, hasn't it? I mean, I know it was there and then it went away and it's come back. Um, but there's something about it as a, as a city more than anything. It's very popular with the players and their families. And, of course, the fans. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan always talks about how much he loves it in York, always talking about the coffee shops and just the atmosphere of the place. I spoke to um, Michael Holt recently, who said it's, it's the only event his wife has ever bothered about going to because she loves the markets <laughs> and uh, just the city in general. And you can see why. I mean, it's beautiful and it's such a nice time of the year at Christmas. And it's a bit unique in terms of the city being the attraction rather than 
the actual venue. As you mentioned, I'm from Yorkshire, I'm a Sheffield man, so I'll happily extol the virtues of that city. But um, really, it's the crucible that people are excited about going to when they go to Sheffield. Um, the German Masters is another one that people talk about often as one of the best events on, on the circuit for the atmosphere and the experience. But it's really the Tempodrome that they're talking about. Um, Alexandra Palace, the same for the Masters, that's become a really great venue for that. But I think it's the Alley Pally rather than, you know, that specific bit of North London that people are interested in. But the UK at York seems to be a bit different. Um, the Barbican's perfectly nice, but it's, um, it's York that everyone loves. Um, they love going there at that time of year and what the city has to offer. So it, it is a real shame that we're not going there. But um, clearly, is it, we don't want to sound like we're criticising the move this year. Things have to be done for obvious reasons. Um, but it, yeah, it's certainly a shame that we won't be there. Yeah, and it's a city that's you know quite close to my heart as well. You know, alma mater for me, my university town. So I have lots of great memories there. I think one of the problems the UK did have in the in the past, perhaps, is it did become quite nomadic for a while. When I was mm. growing up, it was Preston Guildhall every year. We knew it, and it and again that helps to establish an event. But it did go on the road for quite a while, as you say. It had some time in York, then it went to Bournemouth, Telford. It couldn't really get settled. But now it is there at York again. I think this would have been a 10th year in a row. And it, it is a shame, especially when it looked like maybe at one stage, possibly odds against, but there was a chance we could have gone there. So it does feel, it does feel disappointing, uh, as you say. And great point there about, from you about the, the city being the thing. It, I mean, the Barbican's a, a pleasant enough building not ideal with a sports hall element early on perhaps but you know we're, we're lucky to have a venue as good as that that can host an event as big as that with so many players but I think it is generally about the city um you, you see it when you see the television packages you know you see maybe Hazel or Steve or John there you know that they, they'll all be filming from the middle of town you know in the shambles or uh, overlooking the city walls and it has that great sort of uh again you know I, I feel like I'm repeating words a bit here today, but forgive me for cachet. And it has that, 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 you know, money can't buy really, but you know, you're generally a big sports fan. I know Phil, like I am. And we've lost so many treats this year, no grand national, no Wimbledon, no open championship. We're not even being played at all. I mean, those are a one events in our lives, in our, in our cultural lives, not just sporting. And yet snooker, you know, to the great credit of, all those involved with the sport carries on. So of course we're lucky. Of course we'll still enjoy the event. It won't quite be the same, but it'll still give us some, some tremendous viewing. Now, obviously we're behind closed doors again, Phil, and uh, there was the theory at one stage, certainly early on, that it could have benefited uh, the lesser lights, but you know, we are seeing a few surprises, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, we're still seeing the top players winning pretty much every event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't gone through every single match and the stats or what the percentage of upsets have been so far, but it feels about the same as you would expect normally. And as you said, the big names have won everything since um, since um, fans weren't there. Um, I spoke to a load of players before the World Championship. I mean, this was specifically about the Crucible, really, but nearly all of them reckoned that um, the lack of fans would be a help for the rookies there who were playing at the Crucible for the first time because the pressure would be off to an extent. You know, it's such a tight venue um, and the, the scale of the tournament as well. But it was only Jamie Clark who did brilliantly, but he was the only rookie that won in the first round. So 
it just hasn't it hasn't been the level uh, that um, people expect, expected in terms of results. I think it's easy to forget that there's a lot of pressure on the big names as well. They might be a bit more used to it, but um, you know they feel they feel the pressure when they're not playing well in front of a big crowd as well. So yeah, um, it's it's a funny time. The canned uh, applause and stuff is still odd. Um, it's a shame, but um, yeah, in terms of the cream rising to the top, as you said, um, it's still happening. So um, I'd expect that to happen again at the UK. I mean, it, it sometimes is difficult for the players. I was very interested to see uh, Judd Trump uh, talk after the Champion of Champions defeat he had at the last four that... You know, he, he he was just a bit sick of being holed up in his room, really, and he kind of wanted to get out of, out of there. And I mean, this is not really a snooker thing, is it? This is pretty much for everybody that that you know that's listening. I guess you know it, it's been such a difficult year, and I think we all have that element of being cooped up too much, don't we? And perhaps it's exacerbated more with snooker having to be in that one building for so long. But you know, th- these are factors, aren't they? And you know, they're not machines. These guys are we? We see them appearing on television, and we forget that sometimes they have lives and and their own sort of worries and concerns. And, you know, I, I thought that that was a, you know, valuable insight to hear that from Judd, actually. And, and perhaps, you know, two or three might sometimes be struggling as well. I know I follow a lot of golf and uh, a couple of those top golfers have come out and said how difficult they're finding it. And, you know, it, 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 it could become even more of a factor if this carries on, you know, for, you know, perhaps a few mo- more months to come, Phil. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've all, we'll all know, this year has been so strange and speaking to friends and family, you'll know people who've handled lockdown and the whole pandemic differently. You know, it depends on your personality type, doesn't it? Some people aren't that fussed and have carried on as normal, really. And other people still in the heading. Uh, it just depends what you like as a person. I know Judd, he did uh, saying how he's been a bit sick of being in the same room all the time, but um, I heard Andy Goldstein talking to him on Eurosport about sort of the rule of six and not being able to go out and do as much. And he, he didn't seem that bothered about that. He said he doesn't do a lot of stuff anyway, he just plays snooker. But other characters, that will bother them. And snooker is such a mental game. You need your concentration, you need your head to be right. If things are bothering you, then you're in trouble for results. Um, I spoke to one player who, who's been really struggling with this. Um, and you can see by the results. Um, and it's the same with in all walks of life. Um, I mean, I interview players reasonably regularly and... It's just things that you'll never know. They lose in the first round, say, and they they go off, and fans just think, oh, they're they're struggling on the table. But all sorts been going on in personal lives, um, and this year, obviously, more so than than any other, uh, can be a really a real big struggle. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a terribly difficult game at the best of times, mm. um, and especially now um, at all levels of the game, really. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's quite a lonely business anyway, isn't it? So, you know, often players used to sitting in their chair and watching their opponent as, as they sort of suffer there and watch on. And as you say, this kind of seems to exacerbate it, that feeling of, of being cooped up sometimes. Difficult year for all of us, of course, very difficult. Quick word about TV coverage, uh, Phil. Um, good news that we're having it from the first round stage. I mean, you know, I, I tend to think we're, we're absolutely sport rotten as snooker fans, you know, goodness when you when I think of comparable kind of levels of sports that I that I love and and and, and follow and, and write and talk about you know snooker has so many hours on television across so many different broadcasters we're lucky but one slight annoyance was we didn't see the UK perhaps in the first round stage but that's all changed now so 
we can't wait for that, can we? Yeah, it's great. I think you're right. Like, I don't want to complain about this because we see a lot of snook on TV these days. But I did find it a bit mad that the UK you couldn't watch from the first, but we were watching Home Nations events from the first round. Um, it did seem weird. So I'm glad they've sorted that out because um, obviously all the big names are in there from the start. So it's crazy not to be able to see them on the TV when they're playing. Um, so, yeah, that's excellent. Um, I, do, I do find it a bit weird that we're going straight in from another tournament. So Northern Ireland finishes on Sunday. And then we're straight in um, on Monday morning. Um, this isn't really a TV coverage point, but I suppose it goes back to the slightly diminished nature of the tournament point. Um, it would be nice to have a little bit of a build-up to one of the main events uh, rather than just, you know, finishing on Sunday, going back Monday. I don't know if you feel that same way about that. Yeah, I sort of do. I mean, in another way of looking at it, I've sort of been billing it as five very special weeks. I don't think we even have a day off, do we? That's Northern Ireland, UK, mm. Scottish... World Grand Prix. So in that feast of snook away, I suppose I'm savouring it. But yes, I think you've got a point, really. I mean, again, it, it's the old victim of the own success thing, isn't it? I mean, in the, you know, we used to have very long build-ups to these events in the days when we were down to, what, seven, eight ranking events. Yes. So we don't want to go back to that. But you're right. And the flip side of the coin is I, I found the Scottish quite hard to get into. I don't know about you in, in recent years. I, mean, I love my snooker, but, you know, I've had to you almost give those very early stages a bit more of a wide berth after the UK because it's such a high of that. And then to go down to, what, one, two, eight players at the Scottish, you know, it just became difficult. I'd get more into it again in the later stages of the Scottish. But again, I think this is, you know, stuff that we're we're lucky to be to be worrying about, if you like. But yeah, in an ideal world, we'd have a bit more of a, of a, of a build-up. And actually, Phil, that reminds me to say, you know, there was a temptation for us one stage to pretend Northern Ireland wasn't happening. You know, you know like Sky do when they, <laughs> when they don't have the rights to events and they sort of talk around it and pretend it's not how we won't do that. Of course, it, that is taking place this week, another, another really big event. So we won't know, uh, of course, while we're talking now, who's going to go on and win that. But I guess the, maybe one thing to say is the player that wins it probably won't win the UK because winning two in a row is quite hard, isn't it? Very difficult. I mean, they have got the the uh, bonus of not having to travel anywhere you know they, if they win on Sunday then they just carry on the next week but yeah the odds aren't necessarily in your favour even if you look like you're in good form winning on Sunday night um, yeah in terms of the the tournament sort of rolling into one I remember Neil Robertson last year when he got to three finals in a row did he mm. he turned up at the Welsh Open looked like a zombie um, obviously as I say the travel's not a problem this time because last year that was sort of going around Europe at the European Masters and uh, I think it was the German as well. Um, but yeah, it is a strange one rolling into into each other day after day. But uh, as you say, let's not complain. It's better than six tournaments a year, isn't it? It definitely is. And well, let's have a look then at some of the sort of main protagonists then, shall we? It's the, it's the usual suspects, really. The really um, top players, the ones that are leading the betting for the UK. I mean, Judd Trump, perhaps to turn to first. I think... We're generally just very impressed with Judd, aren't we? I mean, I, I definitely have one thought about him, which is a, a tiny bit out of date now, but this is our, our first podcast. I, I really think when we come to reflect on on the sportsmen or sport, sporting teams that, that perhaps suffered most, only suffered in a sporting sense uh, with lockdown, I think Judd will be quite near the top of that list. I mean, I know we'll never know, but I really strongly fancied him for that, for that World Championship in, in the spring. I, I really did. I, I thought... Crucible curse will be a curse no more. But, uh, but of course, it never happened. We had that break. And he's never, he was never quite the same, was he? 
at the tail end of last season. I mean, he, he stumbled through his matches at the Crucible without looking convincing. But again, he's come back and, and, and started well at the, in, in this new season, already won a big event. And I think the difference with Judd, Judd now, I don't know if you find this, is that three, four, five years ago, he's losing matches he should have won. Now he's winning matches he should possibly and probably lose. And again, that comes with experience. He's just got that kind of uh, grit and determination now about him and that kind of experience, not, not at a Mark Selby level by any means, but certainly at the level where he can grind out results. I mean, all those matches, uh, the, uh, the English, wasn't it, when he was constantly 3-1 down and kept yeah. coming back to win, that was tremendous. And then wins the title. I mean, these are things that, that weren't happening even, even three, four years ago. So, you know, he's clearly going to be up there again. And, and I notice he's been complaining a little bit on and off about getting a bit too much grief from fans and pundits about when he doesn't win events or he doesn't go very deep. Um, partly I sort of sympathise with him, but that goes with the territory, doesn't it, again, of, of being the world number one. It does. Um, I know this happens in darts all the time, which I cover as well. Um, and he is actually having a bad time of it at the minute. But Michael van Gerwen, if he doesn't win two tournaments on the bounce, then people are saying, oh, he's, he's had it. He's, he's off the boil. Um, but there's just so many tournaments in a year now. You can't possibly uh, um, do well in every single one. I mean, he, had, he won six last year, but that's less than half the tournaments he plays in. Um, so, yeah, you, you, your ratio is never going to be... Um, as good as people want it to be. And yeah, he just set um, unbelievably high standards. I mean, even when he didn't look um, at his best after the break for the first lockdown, I think he still lost in the semi-finals of the Tour Championship, didn't he, which Maguire went on to win. Um, and that, that's the sort of level he's, he's set himself, hasn't it? Uh, losing in the semi-finals seems like a bit of a failure when actually it's a very good result. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he's, just, he's, he's at that point now where any defeat is a shock. Uh, which very few players get to. You know, even very good players, top 10 players almost, um, you're not necessarily surprised when they lose early because they just lose a lot of matches still. But genuinely, every every time Judd loses is a, is a big surprise. Um, and that's just because he's so good. Um, he has obviously burst onto the scene, in a way, by winning the, the, the UK all the way back in 2011. But he's actually had some... Dodgy results there last few years. Um, he's not been to the quarterfinal since um, he reached the final in 2014. Um, I don't know when... It, players get asked that quite a lot when they do. They have a bad few results in tournaments. And they ask, they're asked why, and they never seem to know, obviously. Like, there's, there's no real rhyme or reason for it. But it is strange he's not, he's not really repeated that success for a few years. No, definitely. In a sense, you feel that might be that he's, he's due a very long run in it. I'll let you talk a bit a bit about Ronnie then. I mean, snooker's greatest ever. I think most of us agree with that now. Incredible uh, win in the World Championship, really. I, I, I must admit, I was one of those that, that didn't think he would again. So, magnificent. Bit of a slow start to the season, but Ronnie's Ronnie, isn't he, Bill? He can win it. Well, he, 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 he can win when he wants if, if, to turn it into, a, into one of football terrorist chants. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I if the World Championships had gone ahead as it should have done, um, as as you said, you would have backed Judd to win it. I wouldn't have given given O'Sullivan a great chance if it had gone ahead as normal. Um, obviously, you never rule him out. It's Ronnie O'Sullivan, but he certainly would have been wouldn't have been getting any of my money at the bookies. Um, and yeah, funny one. Um, since 
the World Championships because obviously he made a big fuss about how no crowds and everything suited him down to the ground in Sheffield. Um, but he's not really played... Um, well, he's played all right, but he's not got the results since then in, in the behind-closed-doors tournaments. So form-wise, um, you wouldn't really be backing him at the UK, but, you know, he's, as you say, he's so, he's so hard to predict. Um, no one would be surprised if he won, but you also wouldn't be that surprised if he sort of lost relatively early because he has been doing it so far this season. Um, so, yeah, tricky one on Ronnie. Um, we'll see. I, I, always, I always think, or, you know, as I was, you know, preparing a bit and thinking about Ronnie, you know, thinking of uh, the other two on the big three, if you, if, you, if you can call it that, the World Championship, UK and Masters, I always think he has more chance at the Masters. But actually, he's won the UK so many times. I'm not sure you can really, you know, back that up, you know, in, in, with much evidence. I mean, he still does very well in this. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a slog in a different kind of way. Not long matches, but you do have to win seven. So I think with the Masters, it has that. I mean, he wasn't even in it last year, the Masters, of yeah. course. He pulled out of it. Um, for reasons known pretty much only to himself. But the Masters is bang, 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 bang. You know, you, you can... I mean, I think Stuart Bingham last year, I think he played his first match on the last day of the first round. So I think he went, you know, something like Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, he, mm. you know, he, he won the title. I mean, that's not to, to downgrade it. It's a magnificent success to win the Masters. But you can have those... Build up those heads of steam, whereas... The UK, I mean, you can start slowly and get through, but, you know, you need to be on the ball for quite a long time. So, yeah, it is difficult to say to say with Ronnie. I mean, you could never rule him out. Um, but again, winning two Triple Crown, you know, events in a row is quite difficult as well. And it, ha- it is so recently since the world. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of O'Sullivan does turn up. Neil Robertson, you know, he, he's just coming up short in finals at the moment, but he's not playing badly in them. And I don't... He hasn't seen that fast when he's losing them, Phil, because he's just saying, well, I'm playing really well. I'm just coming up against inspired performances. I think he's lost to Judd Trump and Mark Allen, hasn't he, in big finals. Um, but he hasn't been beyond round four in the UK since winning it last. I think in 15 he won it last. So, again, he, he's sort of due a run. I mean, one thing about Neil that comes to mind is I, I'm sort of amazed he doesn't do better in the World Championship. You know, one semi-final in the last decade is, is for his quality and his talent, is just not enough. But these aren't those matches like at the Crucible where he can get bogged down. I think he talked about that Mark Selby defeat at the Crucible recently. He said, you know, mm. he just, I think he just bamboozled me, Neil said. You know, he, you know, he tied him up in knots. And you, you don't get that with best of, ele- best of 11s. So, I mean, on form, he's going to have a long run, isn't he? Yeah, um, absolutely. He he looks unstoppable when he gets in the balls. Um, once he's got to 10 or 15, he looks like he's going to hit a century every time. It's, it's outrageous. And he he loves getting to three figures. Um, that double he played in the Champion of Champions when he was in the 90s, he said he just hates uh, falling short at the century mark. Um, and yeah, he's... I mean, you said he's not annoyed when he loses in the final. I'm sure he's disappointed, but as you say, it's not because he didn't play him badly. He's been reliably one of the two or three best players in the world for three or four years now. He's just so he's won a tournament every year since 2000. And how long is that? I don't want to get that stat wrong, but it's over, over a decade. Years, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's a long old time. Um, so he 
I mean, I would be certain it'll win another one um, this year, and it could well be this um, this tournament. Uh, he's got everything, really, hasn't he? Um, in like I said about Judd, uh, it's a it's a shock when he loses to anyone. Um, those two finals he's got to, he's beaten Selby in the semi-final of both of them, I think. Um, so yeah, it's uh, he's he's an absolute beast. <laughs> he just he's got everything in his game. Um, and yeah, I think, as you say, it's a strange one that he's fallen short a few years in a row. Um, probably a victim of the short matches. Um, that might be an excuse, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, if I was pushed for anyone this this week, I would uh, I'd be tipping him. We well, t- talking about absolute beasts leads us nicely into Mark Selby. I mean, <laughs> they don't come more more beastly than Mark in the nicest possible <laughs> way. Great guy. Tremendous player, my God. You know, the old scrape him off the table cliche cliche <laughs> there, but it really is. And again, you, you have to give Mark a lot of credit, don't you, for the way he's bounced back from that world semi-final defeat to Ronnie. I mean, that was a, a, a crushing defeat. And it, it actually reminds me of, of John Higgins, funnily enough. One of the world finals he lost, he lost three in a row. I think it was the Williams one. He, he didn't really recover the following season, even at, still at Christmas. You know, in the new year, he was like, you know, that was still playing on his mind and still had broken him so much. And that was when the world was in the spring. This time mm. it was in the summer, of course, for unusual reasons. And yet he's come back at the start of this season, won the European Masters, reached the semis at the English and the Champion of Champions. He just has that level of consistency again. He's kind of, you'd say, pretty much back to his best now, looking for one of those really, really big wins to cement that. Has had some early exits again in, in recent times. But again, you know, he's a kind of guy that anyone that draws Mark Selby will probably be like, oh dear, I didn't, especially early on. I, d- I didn't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point about the World Championship. That was as hard a defeat to take, I imagine, as possible. Um, I mean, it's very rare you see Selby wound up in an interview afterwards, but he was, he was really annoyed. About how Sullivan was playing in that game, said it was disrespectful, um, and I don't know if he still holds that opinion, but yeah, certainly at the time he was very, very annoyed about it. Um, but he's looked amazing, um, and this is this is sort of a build-up from uh, winning the English last year, I guess, but especially through the second half of last season, he won the English and the Scottish last year, um, and it's all his work with Chris Henry, which. It's amazing that because that's mainly sort of mental things, the mental side of the game. Um, and Selby's sort of famously one of the strongest mentally mental players ever. Um, but you just need a little tweak, and it's obviously worked. And Selby's the first to give all the credit to his new coach, um, which is incredible, really. As I say, because if you'd have picked if you'd have picked anyone's mentality in the game uh, before he started working with Chris Henry, you would have picked Selby's. But he's made it even better. Um, so yeah. Uh, you could say similar things that I said about Robertson about Selby, just so good. Um, Robertson just seems to have the edge over him at the minute when they're playing. Uh, but yeah, as you say, no one wants to get drawn against Mark Selby over any distance of match. Uh, so he'll, yeah, you'd expect him to be up there at the end of this tournament. Yeah, and it reminds me actually of, of being in Crawley what, last autumn now, where he won his first one for quite a while. And, you know, he, he wasn't... Um, hamming it up he, he really had lost confidence he, he said yeah. that long run and it just shows you know it's amazing to us watching on because we think these guys are made of steel you know they're so steely and competitive and you sort of think 
someone like Mark can't almost can't, he can't have poor seasons, but of course he did, and and he lost so much confidence. But you know, he he he's got it. He's got it back now in in spades. You can see it. He looks like he could win at the moment every tournament he enters, which is you know lovely position for him to be in. Uh, and what about one player we're not going to see, and that's the man we were hoping might be making a comeback soon enough, Stephen Hendry, but we. We haven't seen him yet, Phil, have we? And, you know, at the moment, this is a, 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 say a bit of a limp comeback at the moment. Yeah, well, it's not a comeback at all until he, until he gets on the table, I guess. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he said he wants, to, he wants fans to be back. That's the main thing. And he wants to be ready and feel ready with his game. Um, I'm not sure what level that is what, that he would describe as ready. Um, I don't think he needs to feel like he can win a tournament, but certainly that he can win a match or two. Um, It's disappointing because we don't know when fans are coming back. So he's going to have to bite the bullet at some point. Um, Obviously, he can do what he wants. He doesn't have to play anything if he doesn't want to. But it would be nice to see him sooner rather than later because, you know, he has got, he was given that as a freebie, really. um, And that was a place on tour that someone else could have had, uh, potentially. So... Uh, he, he should start playing really out of just sort of uh, courtesy more than anything, I think. Um, but I'm sure we'll see him in, in the first few months of uh, 2021. Yeah, we, we do. We look, we look forward to that. Uh, what about a, a few other names then, Phil? People that are perhaps slow, you know, slightly lower down the rankings. I know you, you spend a lot of time speaking to a lot of players and you're rightly praised for some of your brilliant interviews you've been doing with some of the players uh, further down the food chain, if I can use that line. Well, a few names perhaps then we can look forward to seeing in York that, that might probably not win the tournament, may, maybe spring a surprise or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a couple of, uh, two or three guys that come through Q School um, that have had good starts to the year, but as they're down the rankings, they're going to get tough draws. So Stephen Holworth's been impressive so far, but he's got Anthony McGill, so that's a tricky one. Um, the German Simon Lichtenberg, he's won a couple of matches. He's got Scott Donaldson again, tough. And, uh, well, this is a unique situation, but he came through Q School. Jamie Jones, which people will know about. Um, he's looked very good indeed um, in some games. He's got Matthew Stevens, so that'll be an interesting first-round match. Um, but all those three guys uh, could definitely win a game or two. Not that they're going to win it, but, yeah, come through and look, look impressive on the big stage. Jones as well, another Welshman. He's playing um, Ryan Day, which again is a tough draw. Ryan Day is one of those players who obviously has a fantastic career. Um, but when I see him play and he's playing well, I just think, why hasn't he done even more than he has done? He looks absolutely amazing sometimes. So, yeah, these guys are worth looking out for, but they have got tricky draws. Um, so we'll see. Uh, one player who is not, down the, is not down the bottom of the rankings, but he's out of the top 16, Zhu uh, Long, I think is a player who we should look out for this season. Um, he looked good so far. Um, quarterfinals of the English Open looked very good. Um, in the German Masters qualifiers last week, he won both his games 5-0. Um, he's still only 22, which <laughs> is mad. He just started so young. He's been a professional for six years. Um, of sort of the, the young Chinese players, he's got um, a very well-rounded game, um, can beat anyone in his day. Uh, so, yeah, not an unknown by any means, but uh, I would keep an eye out for you um, at the UK Championship. One that came to my mind, perhaps, Robbie Williams. He had a good one at the English Open. He's got a, a an unfavourable draw, to say the least, with Mark Davis first up. 
and then likely to be Barry Hawkins after that. Uh, what about Fergal O'Brien to keep an eye on? I mean, he, he's just had a, a cracking win, hasn't he? Beating Mark Selby for the first time in 14 years <laughs> in the qualifiers for Germany. But that's quite something. Uh, now, Fergal's got John Higgins. Now, Higgins looked pretty good this season, but we all know that Fergal can be dangerous. I don't think John will be particularly looking forward to that. Uh, another one uh, comes to my mind is, is Zach Surti. I, I interviewed Stuart Bingham uh, recently. They're both uh, Basildon men and... Stuart was telling me that, you know, they're friends, practice partners, and it, it's quite a Stuart line to say he pots them in for the lampshades, but he, he says this guy's really talented, you know, exciting guy to watch. You know, hasn't really had that consistency. I guess that's the same with so many of these guys. But he said if he gets that, you know, he could be a sort of dangerous customer. And the other end of the scale, you know, these aren't particularly, uh, you know, new names, quite the opposite. Alan McManus v. Jimmy White. How many... <laughs> Decades of experience there, Bill. Are we talking about 70, aren't we? Jimmy, about 40 years of pro. McManus, about 30. So that, that's one for the romantics there, isn't it? And looking yeah, through... absolutely. Looking yeah, through that's one, a nice one. I mean, Martin Gould here, um, I think I've seen him as about 125 to 1 at some, in some places. I mean, that's got to be worth a few shillings, isn't it, in old money? I mean, it, it, Jordan Brown first up for him. Um, he, he's reached a final and, you know, He's had, you know, well-documented issues uh, this year, which we're delighted to say looks like he's in a much better place. So, you know, that, that they're long odds, aren't they? They really are, yeah. Um, as you say, it may be a little each way bet. Um, yeah, he looked he looked brilliant at the European Masters. That was such a nice story. Very nearly won the tournament. Um, I spoke to him earlier this season, and yeah, it's a really it's a really um, positive story and um, one that. If, as we spoke before about people who are struggling in lockdown or in general, um, it, just simply talking about things, um, he, he's a real sort of poster boy for uh, especially blokes that are struggling with their mental health. Um, that just uh, vocalising it has really helped him out. Um, he's not had to see a doctor or take any medication or anything about it. He's just spoken about it and it's done him the world of good uh, on and off the table. Um, so, yeah, definitely, he, he'll be dangerous. You hear other players talk about Martin Gould and they're all, they all know how good he is. Um, he absolutely battered Maguire in the first round of the World Championships. Um, I don't think Maguire's ever beaten him. And uh, he said afterwards, he's just a better player than me. There's nothing I can do about it, which is some praise from, uh, from Stevie. Um, so, yeah, as you say, 125 to 1 is a, is a mad price. But we were talking about this the other day, that the UK... You don't get many shot winners. It is always the biggest name. So I think if you were back in a, a real long shot, then go each way because they might win the get to the final. But you don't see many surprise winners there. No, I was thinking if you I think it's Ronnie on seven now, Davis six, Henry five. I think it's that way round. I mean, I mean that's pretty much half the last forty. Just those mm-hmm. three. Then you chuck in what, three wins for Ding. I think Higgins has won a few. Isn't he John Higgins? And it's like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> then you start thinking the Robertson Selby's in more recent times, Murphy's won it. it it's just the creme de la creme. It's Maguire, of course, famously won it when, when Ronnie said he'd dominate for, for, for the next decade. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, the top players of the game and maybe even more than the World Championship, which, I mean, every world, champion, every world champion is special and none of them should have one iota of credit taken away. But a shock like a Graham Dot or a Stuart Bingham... We don't really see that that kind of shock at the UK, really, but do we? 
No, it's very rare. Um, it's all world champions apart from Ding and Maguire really recently and Stevens if you go back to 2003 but they might not be world champions but they're <laughs> extremely good players so don't take that away from them. Even, even getting to the final really, I'm looking back at the last few here, the Yang Wenbo in 2015, that's the only one that you might would be sort of not right in the elite level. Um, yeah, so I mean this goes back to that point right at the start, um, the shorter matches um, maybe produce more upsets but it doesn't seem like they do over the whole tournament. It's really the very best players who are winning it and getting to the final. Well, when it comes to a winner, Phil, I'm actually going to keep my powder dry for now. I've got a piece of sporting life coming up where I'm going to tip my winner there. Um, what about yourself? I know you, you've mentioned a couple of candidates already. Are you thinking Neil? Are you thinking Mark Selby? Where are you going to go? I think I think we mentioned the right four people there and... It would be no surprise if Judd, Ronnie, Neil or Mark won it. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're forcing me to dust the cobwebs off my uh, Yorkshire wallet that doesn't get brought out very often, then I would plump for Neil Robertson just about. Um, I'm just so surprised when I see him lose because he looks, he looks so good when he's at the table. He looks like he's nailed on to make a century every time he gets in there. Um, so, yeah, if my hand is forced, I'll go Neil Robertson. But one outside shout, I mentioned Zhu Yilong, but another young Chinese player, um, Yambing Tao. Um, this, this tournament has sort of a way, we mentioned Maguire when he burst onto the scene in 2004. Ding won it as a very young man. Judd did as well. It's, you know, it can be something of a coming out party for the young players um, to really stamp their authority and announce themselves as big names. And Yan could be the next one to do that. Um, he's a superb player. He, he's no fireworks. Um, having what I just said about Neil Robertson looking like he's nailed on making a century every time he's at the table. You wouldn't say that about Jan. Um, but he's got an incredibly good all-round game for such a young player. Already in the top 16. Um, he's going to win tournaments. He's going to win a lot of matches. Um, and yeah, I would be very surprised if he doesn't win one of the Triple Crowns in the next year or two. Maybe a bit longer than that. But yeah, in the, in the near future... Um, so, yeah, Robertson's my tip. Jan is my sort of outsider. Well, Phil, I think we might draw it to a close there. You've been delightful company, sir. And we hope that you've all enjoyed listening to us as we look ahead to the UK Championship. We'll be back after the tournament uh, to look back on it. Uh, do enjoy it. It's two weeks of, of fabulous, uh, fabulous snooker, fabulous sport, a real winter warmer for us all. And uh, as I say, myself and Phil, we're back with you on Talking Snooker to review the tournament when it's finished. So let's say our goodbyes from Phil. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And uh, goodbye from me. Thank you for listening. Cheerio now. Sports Social Podcast Network.